Welcome to the show. This is Elise, the Managing Director of Pantsuit Politics. We're so glad you've joined us today. While our team has been off for the holidays, we've been sharing some of your favorite episodes from 2023. Today, we are wrapping that up with a milestone episode from the past year. Secretary Pete Buttigieg has been at the top of our guest wish list since he was Mayor Pete and broke out onto the national scene with his run for the presidency in 2020. We are all huge fans of him, his work, and his family here. And we know so many of you are too. We loved this conversation he had with Sarah and Beth about the real-world impacts of infrastructure and the work he's moving forward at the Department of Transportation. It originally aired in October, but it's all still just as relevant now. This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Thank you for joining us for a new episode of Pantsuit Politics, where we take a different approach to the news. Let us just cut to the chase. We have an extremely special episode for you today. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg is here. We have wanted to host Secretary Pete since March 2019, when I first recorded a premium episode about his campaign. We also saw him in a high school gymnasium in Des Moines, Iowa during the 2020 primary, and we were very taken in. As were many folks in Iowa and around the country, we were thrilled when he was confirmed to his position in the cabinet, and we tried so hard to get him here for our infrastructure series in 2021. Well, after four years of diligent pursuit, Secretary Pete is here, and we hope you agree with us that this conversation was worth the wait. If you're new here, welcome. Since 2015, Sarah and I have been sitting down to process the news together. We believe in paying attention to the news and that being engaged does not have to mean being constantly anxious and stressed. We release new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays and hope that you'll join our loyal community of listeners who are some of the kindest and smartest people on the internet. Without further ado, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. 
It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Mr. Secretary, we're so thrilled that you're here. We say that we take a different approach to the news. And by that, we mean that we try to show up as whole people without any artificial distance between us and what we're talking about. And that's something that we've really admired about you. Seems like whatever question you answer, you show up as a whole person to answer that question. So I want to start by asking you about safety on the roads as one of the department's priorities. And I know that that can sound bland in this news environment, but I ask it as a person who is part of the sad club of accidental killers. When I was in high school, I was in a car crash that was fatal for someone. And that has been with me every day for 25 years. And I know how many lives that one accident has impacted forever. So thinking through how personal that good, quiet government work is, I would love for you to tell us more about it. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. And I'm I'm sorry that that's part of, of your story. And the reality is that that's part of hundreds of thousands of Americans' stories. Sometimes I think it's actually because car crashes, deadly car crashes are so frequent that we're sort of desensitized to it. You know, the number of people who lose their lives in a car crash every day in America, it's between 100 and 200 people. So that's dramatically more than are lost in uh, railroad safety, for example, where uh, it, it's thankfully in the sing- single digits, but needs to get to zero. And our focus is on how do we get to zero? In a typical year for airlines, uh, the number actually is zero of lives lost, even in that incredibly complex and risky, seemingly risky, but actually very safe form of transportation. And yet, uh, when it comes to our roads, 40,000 people a year dying is something that we're just sort of used to. So a big part of what we're trying to do, and I'm glad you you raised this, is to just get it a little more on our consciousness. Because the, the other thing that might make us think it's unremarkable or just be used to it is the idea there's nothing you can do. It's, it's like, uh, like getting hit by lightning. But it's not. I mean, crashes are preventable. And they're preventable through lots of different things we can do to prevent them, only some of which have to do with drivers. That's part of it, of course, uh, safer people, depending on the particular scenario. But a big part of it is safer design and safer vehicles and a better standard of care after a crash does happen, if it wasn't prevented, and safer speeds. And, And all of those are things we can work on, and we are. So uh, I think when when people hear there's you know a hundred billion dollars going into highways in the president's infrastructure plan and and we're excited about all the road work we're doing, but we're not just randomly putting up roads everywhere. We're making the roads we have safer than they were, and that can be anything from uh, a well placed roundabout, which believe it or not can cut serious crashes by half 
or more in the right locations, or whether it's so many cities, including my hometown of South Bend, where had a dense urban area, but a road going right through the middle of it that seemed designed to just evacuate cars just as quickly as possible with no regard for pedestrians, because that was kind of deprioritized, especially in the 60s, when a lot of the choices were made that we're still living with. And now a lot of communities are trying to redesign those roads, but they haven't always had the money to do it with. Now we're bringing the money to do it. All the way down to what NHTSA, which is the, the, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, which is part of our department, does anytime they issue a, a recall for an airbag that isn't working the right way, or those five-star safety ratings that are part of a process making our cars, vehicles radically safer than they used to be. One of the top things we're seeking to do here during my time at this department is to reverse the rise in roadway deaths. And the good news is they're starting to come down. So we track this on a quarterly basis. Uh, we just got our, our most recent set of numbers. They are down, but they're down just a little bit from a very high level. And so the question is now, if we've succeeded in stopping the rise of roadway deaths, how do we truly reverse it and, and, and accelerate that reversal? Because again, you know, even a 1% change is 400 lives a year. I don't know if you're soliciting ideas, but I did notice when I was in Europe this summer, their lights go from yellow to green. You know, we go green, yellow, red, and it's all at intersections. So much of this safety issue is at intersections. Roundabouts make perfect sense to me. So I thought that's so good because it gives you that pause so you don't take off the second it turns green because that, that intersection safety is huge. You know, a lot of what we work on here is the relationship between psychology and technology. You know, something as mundane as red and yellow lights and how do you behave when you see yes. a yellow light? Does it make you slow down to stop, which is what you're supposed to do? Or does it make you speed up to beat the light, which is what a lot of people do? You know, this is becoming especially important right now because we have more and more technology in vehicles. And a lot of vehicles now, they have things that will help you, not just cruise control, right? But, but all kinds of things to nudge you back into your lane and, and so forth. But then there are other technologies in there that are designed to keep you from relying on the technology too much. Uh, like the thing that in some cars, my mother's car has is it shows a little cup of coffee saying, hey, pay attention. If the car thinks you have been taking your eye off the road or, or your hands off the wheel. So this is going to be an especially complicated thing in the 2020s when you have so much new technology and those what our team refers to as the human factors. Uh, need to get weighed in. And, and yeah, traffic lights are a classic example of that. Well, let's talk about the human factor with the Inflation Reduction Act, which we all describe as once-in-a-generation infrastructure investment. And as we were talking about this as a team, we thought, well, once-in-a-generation means that you're going to encounter a lot of generational attitudes about government that are mm -hmm. really, really stuck in place, all the way from one side that I think says any government is too much government, to the other side, which we hear you encountered yesterday, which is, it's never enough. It's never good enough. It's never good enough. And so as you travel the country and you're encountering these sort of baked-in attitudes, how are you changing that? Most importantly, are you seeing any movement in either direction? What are you seeing as you cross the country? So I actually think transportation is one of the areas that we can use to break down some of those attitudes. Because you know, things like tax policy, you have to really commit to, to thinking through what it means in order to, to shape your opinion or be willing to change your opinion about it. But transportation, everybody everybody knows how this stuff affects them. Um, maybe you haven't thought about it in a certain light, but you, you think about it a lot because we all 
depend on transportation every day. It's a huge part of our lives. And it's a huge part of the, the way we relate to the communities and neighborhoods we live in. And one of the reasons why I think the, the infrastructure package was bipartisan, it's in the name of the package, we call it the bipartisan infrastructure law. Wasn't, you know, wasn't unanimous, but but we did have a lot of Republicans cross over to work with with the president with with Democrats on this, is because you can you can cut through some of those attitudes. Even people who generically think government spending is too much uh, also very specifically think more money ought to go into fixing the potholes on the road they drive on, right? And are willing to pay for that. Another example that I thought about a lot in the most recent shutdown countdown is the way that some of the policies we work on keep people safe or protect them financially. So I'll give you an example. I, I do think one, one of those attitudes you're talking about that, that clearly was at play in the shutdown talk was this idea that, that a government employee, you know, unless you're, unless you're literally a soldier deployed, that anybody who works for the government is a, like a faceless paper pusher who's, who's just you know, part of the bureaucracy. Well, some of the paper that's getting pushed in this building is working on a rule that would get people money when your airline is responsible for you getting delayed for hours and hours and hours. You mentioned Europe. One thing Europe has is a pretty strict set of rules that says you get a certain, and it's like hundreds of bucks, uh, you can expect a certain amount of compensation. Now, we've had a major expansion in passenger rights in this country in the last couple of years that, that I'm very proud of. But one thing that we still don't have is any compensation for your time if an airline wastes it. We're rushing to get that kind of work out the door, but also you have to take the time to do it properly because it's a rule that everybody has to follow. It's got huge financial implications. Uh, we have to take a lot of comments and weigh them. And so that's one example of the kind of white collar work that goes on in a government building like the headquarters where I'm sitting that would have ground to a halt in a shutdown that I actually think people really do care about and would be upset to see it interrupted sitting at home, whether they're Republicans, Democrats, or neither. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. 
They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. Understanding that there's that kind of bipartisan support for the outcome of the legislation, I want to ask you about the process because we do want the potholes fixed and we like our roads to be safe and convenient. And it's also annoying when infrastructure projects are underway. And even when we welcome change, think about high-speed trains and some of the things that we could be doing that I think everyone would love once they're done. Mm -hmm. It's sort of emotional, the process of of getting those things to us. has to be frustrating for you and the president and your team that you're planting these seeds that won't be realized for a number of years down the road. So I would love to hear your reflections on how people can handle that process and what they can be thinking about in terms of where we're going. Yeah, you're right. This is not like... uh... You know, I used the example of a tax policy a, a, a moment ago, but one nice thing about a tax policy is it's instant, right? <laughs> if you know Congress passes a tax credit, then April 15th next year, you're getting it. But some of these infrastructure projects are incredibly complex. I call them the cathedrals of our infrastructure. Mm. One thing about cathedrals, the people who laid the cornerstones aren't even there when the cathedral gets finished. Now, to be clear, that's not, that's not my <laughs> expectation for a big bridge or a tunnel. But it is true that, you know, some of these projects will be underway throughout this administration. There's some road realignments we can do in a summer, but there's some tunnels that need to be redone that are 100 years old. There's some some airport terminals that need to be completely rebuilt. That's years and years and years. But the good news is, even while we're all impatient about seeing the project get from groundbreaking to ribbon cutting, something good is happening in the middle of it, too, which is all the jobs just working on the project. So true. So yeah, when the airport terminal is done, it's going to support a lot of jobs because you'll have better air, air connectivity in your city. But when the airport terminal is underway, 
your cousin's working on that on the you know the electrical wiring for for the lighting in that airport today. And one thing that really excites me about this stage, which is still kind of early days in the grand scheme of things for the infrastructure package, is we got the law passed. Our whole first year was about getting the law passed. And then we stood up the programs, which were creating a lot of new multi-billion dollar programs. It took about a year to do that. Now we're starting to get the money really flowing out the door, which means we're starting to get to some of those groundbreakings and meet the workers who are doing the work and raising their families uh, on the income from that work gaining skills, building careers. And because there's so much of it, it's not just like the one project, you know, the airport project comes to town and then you don't know what you'll be doing afterwards. It really can be, I think, a decade of good paying jobs that you can count on if you're a young person deciding, do I want to sign up for this apprenticeship program, become an electrician or not? Uh, It gives you a good reason to invest in yourself and your own skills. I think that's a perfect thing for our listeners to say when people complain. Look at all those jobs. When people complain about infrastructure, construction, like, I think that's such a great language to have. Look at all those people employed. Look at all those good jobs going into that project. Now, you did talk about the flow of money. Have you seen any common characteristics among, you know, state and local governments who are really making the most of this moment of this legislation? We are accepting compliments for our Kentucky Governor, Andy Bashir at this time. Thank you. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, since you mentioned him, he's he's been a terrific partner. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples in, in Kentucky. You know, one project that I was really moved to see for myself, and this is one that the, the governor, uh, frankly, he wouldn't leave me alone about it. He kept talking <laughs> about it. A place called Panbowl Lake. And it's in a community of Jackson, which was part of that Appalachian region of Kentucky that was just brutally devastated by floods recently. And the project uh, succeeded on the merits. We, we, we awarded funding that's going to be used to uh, fix a highway there. But also, because of the way the highway is built, that there's basically a, a flood wall or a dam that's built into it, which means while we're improving the road, we're also improving the dam and making that community less vulnerable because there's a good chance there's going to be another one of those uh, storms that, that we need to make sure it doesn't turn into another one of those floods with, with you know, that, that one, dozens of people lost their lives. And being in this community, and it was a small community, I don't remember exactly, but I, I, I believe it was in the neighborhood of a couple thousand people in that particular place we visited, where everybody wears multiple hats. Uh, you know, the, the fire chief was also a Kentucky DOT employee who was helping to clear the roads wearing his DOT hat so that his firefighter colleagues could get, get out to rescuing people. It was just an example of how a community pulled together to, to look after each other. So whether I'm thinking about a project like that, or actually also in Kentucky and Lexington, there's a, a, a underpass that needed to be fixed. Or some of the safety work we're doing, we're in Albuquerque, there's a road called Coors Boulevard that just everybody knows is, is likely, when you hear about a crash, it, it, it's a good chance it was there. Uh, we're helping to fix that. Uh, or whether it's a 100-year-old bridge or tunnel that's going to take billions of dollars to do, but that hundreds of thousands of people count on to get in and out of New York, or whether it's a port project that most people will never notice. But what you will notice is the goods that you count on that are on containers that that move through those ports are going to move a little more efficiently, which means it'll cost a little less to ship them, which means it'll cost a little less to buy them. You know, those are the kinds of things that, that, that we see going on around the country. And the only other thing I'll point to that really excites me is every size of community and every size of project you can imagine is going on. You know, projects that, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or more and benefit millions of people in a, in a big city or projects that, you know, I was in South Dakota not long ago. 
went to a, a community called Chamberlain. They have an airport, even though it's a very small community. But it's so small that their general aviation terminal was basically a mobile home. They adapted a double wide, and that was the terminal. They made it work. But with a six-figure grant from our department, they're able to, to build an actual permanent building. And it really matters because the main things they use that airport for are medevac and crop dusting. Uh, so super, super important to the people who live in that area, even if most people will never fly through or even hear of the airport in Chamberlain, South Dakota. That's the kind of stuff that that really excites me. And then the next day I could be at a place like LAX, uh, you know, all just making somebody better off with these dollars. So knowing how important the dollars are and the paper pushing that's happening, as you've described it, tell us what you see as we approach another government funding deadline. Where is the department in terms of the work that's already been done? What's outstanding? And what do you really want people to know as we approach that November deadline? Well, our, our job is to be ready for anything. And so, you know, I, I left the office the Friday of the last deadline, believing that that we were likely headed toward a shutdown and it was not going to be pretty, but we were going to do everything we could to make sure that that we did right by our people. But there's just no way to sugarcoat the fact that, first of all, people don't get paid, including air traffic controllers. Uh, just think for a minute if showing up for work involves sitting down at a, a, a terminal in an air traffic control station or, 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 or one of the other facilities that routes airplanes, knowing that uh, every dot on your screen that you're making sure it gets in or out the right way represents uh, dozens or even hundreds of lives that depend on you doing that job right. And then imagine showing up to that job with the added stress of having a, a rent payment or a credit card bill about to be due, and you didn't get paid. It's just unacceptable. Um, you add to that the fact that, you know, we have a shortage right now of air traffic controllers. We we need more. They're they're overworked and understaffed. And so we got to hire more and we got to hire more and train more quickly. And a shutdown would instantly stop the training. Mm. And the way this training works, you need to, it builds on itself. So if you're out for a few days, that could actually set you back weeks or months in your training. Uh, we have a whole academy in, in Oklahoma City would have to shut down immediately. So whether we're talking about the things that keep running, but the people don't get paid, like the air traffic controllers in the towers, or whether we're talking about things that stop altogether, whether it's working on that rule to get passengers paid back, or whether it's training people to, to grow the ranks of the controllers, it really throws a wrench in so many things that, that people count on us to do. Now, there are some things we would be able to continue doing just because of the complexity of how they're funded. Some of our grants would continue, the roads and bridges. We'd be able to do some of that work. Uh, but other pieces of it would get cut. And that's why I'm, I'm I was sounding the alarm last time. And if if they let it go to the brink again, I'm going to be sounding the alarm again, saying nobody wants this. Uh, and at the very least, we should be able to count on a, you know, we can argue all day about exactly how the government should do its job. But the idea that it should be up and running, I, I think, should not be controversial. Mm -hmm. Secretary, we like to acknowledge our humanity outside politics here at this show. Now, I have three beautiful children, but I have a well-established stance against toddlers. I'd have seven kids if it weren't for toddlers, <laughs> okay? It, with one major exception. I love a toddler in a costume phase. I've got some <laughs> Penelope breach their costume phase yet. That's what that's what the people need to know. <laughs> so we, uh, we're, we're still in the, the decision-making uh, stage as far as the, the Halloween game plan. Oh, it's coming down to the wire. You better I get know, on that. Yeah, well, we 
Well, we, we had these baby shark costumes we were going to get, but they're uh, they're on back order. So uh, we got to we got to come up with a plan B. I'm, uh, Maybe call one of those ports. See where they are. I was going to say, yeah, I hope it wasn't a supply chain issue. <laughs> <laughs> no, the best, though, is they'll get a costume and then they're like, this is what I am every day. Forever. <laughs> Forever. And it's the best. If you have not walked through a mall with a like two or three year old in a costume, you have not lived like you are humanity's gift. Everybody loves you. You're the center of the universe. We know now that they're two, they are starting to have very strong opinions about what they want to wear. Oh, yeah. In fact, we went over this this morning. I happened to be, uh, Justin was traveling, you know, often one of us is, is on solo dad mode, and that was me today. And our son, Gus, just decided he really did not want to wear pants. Yeah, right. Reasonable. See why I have a stance on toddlers? <laughs> I thought maybe if I got the blue pants versus the green <laughs> pants, he'd be cool. No. Uh, he's just like, no want of pants. No. And, you know, I'm explaining to him that it's just really <laughs> frowned on to go around without pants these days. And it's kind of an important part of important part of going about your day that, that uh, you know, even, even at your age, the guy's just expected to have pants. <laughs> and uh, he just wasn't having it. So no. we, we got there. But, uh, yeah, the, the, there's no arguing with a two-year-old. No. Have you seen that great tweet where it's like, imagine you sleep in, someone's prepared waffles for you, and you're filled with rage. That's what it's like <laughs> to be a toddler. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, a lot of big fear. Well, we are very invested in your family, as so many Americans are. And we also love knowing that the three of us are all Midwestern elder millennials who go to church, which is statistically... We're weird, guys. ...kind of strange for this group of people. <laughs> We're talking with you at an extremely difficult time in the world. And so knowing how important your faith is to you and to your family, we just wanted to end by asking you, in the course of being the United States Secretary of Transportation, where have you seen God today? Hmm. Well, uh, it's hard not to see it in in, in the face of your two-year-old children, uh, even if you are arguing about <laughs> whether they need to wear pants before leaving the house. There's a parable there somewhere. It really yeah, is. Yeah, well, especially in, in the New Testament, so much of the humor, I think, in, in Scripture comes from uh, status shifts, right? Mm. Uh, there, there's a kind of uh, the humor and the power of so many of the parables and so many of the teachings in, in the New Testament have to do with these moments or stories that, that throw the high and mighty off of their high and mighty seats and elevate the humble and the castaways and, and the vulnerable. And you have your status shifted every every few minutes when you think you're in charge uh, and your toddler kind of lets you know what's what. Like I think most people, I don't know that anything's brought me closer to God than having people in my life, my spouse and now my children, who I've learned to love more than myself and more than whatever was important to me when I got up in the morning. And there's, there's definitely a lot of the divine in all of that. Mm. Secretary, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. 
and we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Thanks again to Secretary Buttigieg for joining us and to all of you for listening. 2023 was a milestone year for us in so many ways, and we have big hopes and big plans for 2024. We can't wait to kick it all off with you as we return to our regular content schedule. For today, we hope you are having the happiest start to the new year available to you. Pantsu Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our Managing Director. Maggie Pinton is our Director of Community Engagement. Xander Singh is the composer of our theme music with inspiration from original work by Dante Lima. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Catherine Vollmer. Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Linda Daniel. Emily Neasley. The Pantsuit!
Jones. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Amy Whited. Emily Helen Olson. Lee Shea McDonough. Morgan McHugh. Jen Ross. Sabrina Drago. Becca Dorval. Christina Quartararo. Shannon Frawley. The Adair family. Jeff Davis, Melinda Johnston, Michelle Wood, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.